Now turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ezekiel. I'm going to read a few verses from the last chapter. Ezekiel chapter 48. Some 17 to 19 years ago, whenever I was the ministerial assistant in the Lisburn congregation, helping out Dr. Douglas, Dr. Douglas preached a series of messages on the book of Ezekiel. I think it took him two years, maybe it was two and a half. He wasn't in any hurry to get through the word of God, uh, but certainly I can remember being there for his last sermon on the book of Ezekiel. And during the course of our two-week gospel mission, under the title Life and Hope, um, there's a text of scripture here that the Reverend Martin himself has made reference to on quite a number of occasions in the prayer meeting. And that's what I want us to think about for today. Ezekiel chapter 48, and we're going to read from verse 30. And these are the goings out of the city on the north side, 4,500 measures. And the gates of the city shall be after the names of the tribes of Israel, three gates northward, one gate of Reuben, one gate of Judah, one gate of Levi, and at the east side, 4,500, and three gates, and one gate of Joseph, one gate of Benjamin, one gate of Dan, and at the south side, 4,500 measures, and three gates, one gate of Simeon, one gate of Issachar, one gate of Zebulun. At the west side, 4,500, with their three gates, one gate of Gad, one gate of Asher, one gate of Naphtali. It was round about 18,000 measures, and the name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. <coughs> Amen. We pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing, as he always does, this reading of his infallible and inerrant word. Let's just wait on the Lord for a moment's prayer. Lord, as we wait on in thy presence, we do ask this hour in the name of the Lord Jesus, that thou will draw near to us now, that thou will meet with us. We do thank thee for the word of God. We thank thee, Lord, that thou dost always bless the public reading of thine infallible and errant word. We thank thee, O God, that thy word is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we thank thee for the ways that thou dost instruct us. We thank thee for the way that thou dost bring things to our mind, even texts of scripture, and plant them within our consciousness and help us to think and meditate upon them. And we just ask thee now that thou wilt shut us in with thyself. We acknowledge that thou art God alone. 
There's so many things, Lord, we could say unto thee by way of praise. We acknowledge that thou art our creator, that thou art absolutely sovereign, that thou art a good God, that, that thou art thrice holy, that thou indeed art a God of love, for it's written, God is love. And yet we're conscious, Lord, that thou art a God to be feared, for it's written, Be thou in the dread and the fear of the Lord all the days of thy life. Lord, we confess we don't love or fear thee as we ought. We thank thee that thou art a God of infinite grace. We can say, Great is thy faithfulness. We thank thee for thy mercies. And we just acknowledge that thou art the God of all comfort. We think especially of the Scott family in need of comfort at this time. We thank you for the life of Victor. We thank you, Lord, for his testimony to the saving and keeping power of God. And we just commit, Lord, his family to thee as they gather today for the funeral service, that they might know the comfort and the help of the Lord. May there be, a Lord, a word of challenge as well for all who are gathered in without Christ. May they be reminded that they're sinners who need to be saved. Give repentance, we pray. And, O oh God, even as a result of the home call of a loved one who's absent from the body and present with the Lord, Lord, that someone who hasn't started for heaven, who hasn't seen the Lamb as all the glory of Emmanuel's land, we pray, Lord, you'll bring them savingly to thyself. Even during this time of mission, Lord, as it comes to a close tonight, pour out thy spirit. We thank you for this one young man that's planning to be here. We pray that others will be in. Others who are not saved, have mercy upon them. Draw them by thy spirit, even though they haven't planned to come. And maybe haven't, Lord, thought about it. Put it in their heart. Put it in the heart of our own people tonight, right across the board, to plan to be out in the house of God and to meet with thee. Lord, we just ask you now to bless us, continue with us, meet our need as we be it on in thy presence. I plead the cleansing, covering power of the blood. I ask for the help of thy blessed Holy Spirit. What am I at best but a mere man? And Lord, I pray for thy hand and thy help to be given. And O oh God, let thy word of free course this day, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Now my text this morning is taken from the final part of Ezekiel chapter 48 and the verse 35. It reads, And the name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. Now my subject today is considering Jehovah Shammah. The words the Lord is there in the Hebrew is Jehovah Shammah. And if you have a margin in your Bible, you'll be able to see that. Now Jehovah Shammah is a compound name for God. There are 12 compound names in the Bible where the living and the true God has made himself known. The first instance where there was a compound name for the Lord uh, was probably one that you're familiar with. Genesis 22 and verse 14. Jehovah Shammah. The God who sees and provides. And of course that was in the context of God providing a lamb in the stead of Isaac. Remember um, Abraham's prophecy, the Lord will provide himself a lamb. Now the last instance in the Old Testament where a compound name for God is given is found in Ezekiel 48.35. Jehovah Shammah. The Lord is there. Now this last compound title 
in the Old Testament attributed to Jehovah forms a glorious climax to the final vision of Ezekiel. Ezekiel's final vision runs from chapter 40 right through to 48 of the book of Ezekiel. And the last words that Ezekiel the prophet uttered were this, And the name of the city from that day shall be, The Lord is there. Now, what is so important about a name? Why study the names of God at all? What's in a name anyway? Let me just point out that the names of God, I believe, are a wonderful revelation of himself. Each and every name whereby God makes himself known demands of us a comprehension, a thoughtfulness, a thinking process of who and what God is in his essential being. Turn to Deuteronomy 28 and verse 58. Now here's another of these compound names. It says in verse 58, If thou wilt not observe to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God. I no doubt you're familiar with the Lord as my shepherd. When we were in the nursing home and killing your house last Sunday, there was a wee woman there and she kept shouting out, the Lord is my shepherd. I was preaching on the Lord as my helper. And you're familiar with that, Psalm 23, verse 1. You might even be familiar with Jehovah Shalom, uh, Judges 6 and 24. Uh, God is my peace, Jehovah Nissi, uh, the Lord is my banner, Exodus 17 and 15. Even Jehovah said, can you? Uh, Jeremiah 23 and 6, the Lord our righteousness. The Lord Sabaoth, Psalm 46, verses 7 and 11, the Lord of hosts. To name but a few. But look at Deuteronomy 28, verse 58 now. And what's it saying? That thou mayest fear this glorious and fearful name, the Lord thy God, Jehovah Elohim. Because that's what it literally means. Psalm 111, verse 9 says, Holy and reverent is his name. Young people, here's why God's name is important. Here's why we ought to study it. God has a glorious and fearful name. His name is holy and sacred. His name's to be revered. His name's to be reverenced. His name's to be respected. We're not to take it lightly. Aren't we guilty of being so casual today? So spiritually light today. We mention the Lord's name. Usually in conversation. But not really aware of who he is. 
not having the conscious reality of who he is and what he's like. Isn't there so little regard and so little respect for the name of the Lord today? So flippantly and easily we take the name of the Lord in our lips. And yet here we are in the Old Testament. The eleventh compound name is this. Jehovah Shammah. And these words form a climax to Ezekiel's prophecy. And I have to admit to you today that there's far more in the verse than meets the eye. There's far more in the verse than you and I really think, you know. And I also admit quite openly that this word that forms the climax to the prophecy is set in a very difficult passage to grasp and understand. And I hold up my hands and I say it reverently that there's a lot in Ezekiel chapter 40 right through to verse 48 that I have difficulty grasping and comprehending. Matthew Henry said that this is the most difficult portion of all the word of God. And yet what I want to do this morning, rather than get into some sort of controversy, I want to just stick with the text. I want to just take the verse as it stands. As I've said, let's just stick to the text for today. And the text is this. And the name of the city from that day shall be, the Lord is there. Someone has rightly said, if the preacher sticks to his text, that the text will stick to the people. So here's our text for today. The Lord is there. Which I'm telling you, that's translated in the Hebrew, Jehovah Shema. So if you learn nothing else today, if you forget everything else that I say, if you want to have a little sleep, then just remember or try to remember the word. So if someone's to ask you later on this afternoon or tonight or tomorrow or the next day, were you in church on Sunday? Yes, I was. What did you hear? Well, I heard the preacher talk about Jehovah Shema. What does that mean? Well, it means the Lord is there. Now, can we say this? Let's think about our community. Let's think about our church. Let's think about us as Christians. See, in a literal and in a real sense, can we say it honestly, truthfully, sincerely, as far as our lives is concerned, as far as our homes is concerned, as far as the church is concerned, as far as the school, the university, the workplace is concerned, whether we're in the prayer meeting or in the Bible study or in the Sunday school, can we say this? The Lord is there. Is there a real sense of the Lord's presence amongst us? Do we know and realize that God is everywhere present. Is that a conscious reality to us? Do we have a tangible sense? There's a little chorus and it used to say, reach out and touch the Lord. Why? Because the Lord is there. And oh, that we could reach out by faith and lay hold upon him. Now there's three things I want to set before you today. And I'm going to ask you to try and follow with me as you can. 
Here's the first thought, the theology of this name. The Lord is there. We should underline that in our Bible. The word Lord, you'll notice young people's in capital letters. It's deliberately to emphasize and to make it stand out in our minds. It always refers to Jehovah, the living and the true God, the God of the covenant, a God of covenant faithfulness. Every time you read the word Lord in capital letters, it refers to Jehovah as a God of covenant faithfulness. And what do we read about this God of covenant faithfulness? The Lord is there. Now, the name Jehovah Shammah has to do with the presence of God with us. Or even better, the glory of God amongst us. The glory of God is a visible, tangible, conscious sense of the Lord's presence with us. The glory of God is his majestic, awesome, glorious, inspiring presence. The Lord is there, bringing home to our hearts the presence of God. But the presence of God in the fullness of his glory. It was the psalmist that said in Psalm 99 verse 1, The Lord reigneth, let the people tremble. He sitteth between the cherubims, let the earth be moved. Psalm 114 and verse 7 says, Tremble thy earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob. And isn't this what's missing today in the life of the church? And in our lives, we have forgotten how to tremble at the presence of the God of Jacob. And you see, when you read the book of Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel is really a story of the glory of the Lord departing from the people. And the people no longer trembling at his presence. And no longer inspired by the majestic revelation of his glory. There is a progressive departure of the glory of God and the presence of the Lord. Turn over there to Ezekiel chapter 9. Just look at these couple of references very, very quickly. Ezekiel chapter 9. Look at verse 3. It says, And the glory of the God of Israel was gone up from the cherub, whereupon he was to the threshold of the house. The cherub here remains the, the mercy seat. The place of sacrifice place of the shed blood the mercy seat was the lid of the ark of the covenant and here's the glory of God lifting off (laughs) taking flight now come to chapter 10 and verse 18 and it says then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house stood over the cherubims the cherubims are angels And they're witnessing this. They're standing at the threshold of the temple. They're watching the glory depart. 
Come to chapter 11, verse 23. It says, And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood upon the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. You see, really, when you think about Israel at this time, you could write Ichabod. And Ichabod means from the book of Samuel, the glory of the Lord has departed. And notice the progressive departure of the glory of the Lord. The glory, the, 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 the progressive departure of the presence of God. Ezekiel's standing and he's amazed, he's watching it. God withdrawing from the, the mercy seat, going to the door of the temple. Uh, God moving from the temple uh, out into the city. And then God departing from the city to the mountain. It's as if God is loath to withdraw. Doesn't it show you how merciful God is? He moves from the mercy seat down the aisle. And he's looking round to see if anybody's going to say stop or anybody's going to say come back. He, he moves to the threshold of the door and again he's looking round. He moves out into the city. All the while he's looking round. There's no one concerned or no one troubled. And he moves to the mountains. You see, there's a glorious absence, a grievous absence of the Lord in the land of Israel. In Deuteronomy 31 verse 17, the children of Israel asked, why has all this befallen us? And the answer is because our God is not amongst us. And let me just point out this to you. From Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 23, until chapter 40, which is a long time, there is absolutely no mention of the glory of God or the presence of the Lord in the book of Ezekiel. The glory of God and the presence of the Lord is, is, is marked by absence. During that time, the country of Israel is invaded by the Babylonians. The city is destroyed. The walls are broken down. The gates are burned with fire. The temple is ransacked. Its furnishings are plundered. The people are carried off captive to Babylon. And one of them is Ezekiel. This is a dark day in the history of the nation. They think of the Lord moving from off the altar, the blood-stained altar, moving to the door of the house, moving to the city, moving to the mountain. You see, there's an absence of the presence of God. Something else. From chapter 40 onwards, Ezekiel is now looking ahead. This is his final vision. He's focusing on a glorious future for the people of God. A glorious future that God has planned for his people. And at the heart of that glorious future is this. The glory of God returns. Here at the very instigation of his final vision. Look at chapter 40. And look with me at verse 4. Chapter 40 and verse 4. Chapter 40 and verse 4. And the man said unto me, Son of man, behold with thine eyes, and hear with thine ears, and set thine heart upon all that I will show thee. For to the intent that I might show them unto thee art thou brought hither, declare all that thou hast seen to the house of 
Israel. Ezekiel, I brought you here to this point for a purpose. Ezekiel, I want you to see every word. I want you to hear every word. Ezekiel, I want you to take every word to heart. Ezekiel, don't miss one thing. Ezekiel, observe every detail that you can. Ezekiel, set your heart upon it. Behold that with thine eyes. Hear with thine ears. Set thine heart upon all that I will show thee. Let not fail to grasp of all that I'm showing thee. It's as if God is saying, Ezekiel, I'm going to teach you something. And we confess when we read Ezekiel, there's loads here that we don't fully grasp. There's many things that we don't understand. There's things that we can't make head nor tail of. But God is saying to Ezekiel, behold it with your eyes, hear with your ears what I'm saying, set your heart upon all that I will show thee. And what has Ezekiel got? He's got a teachable spirit. And his prayer has been, Teach me. And you know, we can do the same thing when we come across things that we don't fully grasp or understand or make head or tail of. We can pray for enlightenment. We can ask the Lord for a teachable spirit. You know, when we read the Bible, you confess this, I confess this, that there's things we don't understand. We can come to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what this means. Lord, I haven't got a clue. Lord, I'm not sure. But we can go to him and we can say, Lord, teach me. Lord, don't let me miss one thing. Don't let me fail of one of your words. Don't even wonder how God on earth is going to work it all out. Never allow our pride to be a stumbling block. We, we learned during the mission, is anything too hard for the Lord? And what we need in the church again is great views of God. If the Lord can feed two and a half million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years... If God can raise the dead, if God can do other miracles, then what's it to him to do this or that for us? God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, I want you to behold this. I want you to fix your eyes in this. I, I, I want you to, to hear it with your ears. I want you to set your heart on it. And what was it? The glory of the Lord returning. Let's just look at this very, very quickly. Go to chapter 43. Look with me at verse 2. Chapter 43 and verse 2. And behold, the glory of the God of Israel came from the way of the east. And his voice was like a noise of many waters. And the earth shined with his glory. Now look at verse 4. And the glory of the Lord came into the house by the way of the gate. And then look with me at verse 5. So the Spirit took me up. And brought me into the inner court. And behold the glory of the Lord filled the house. And link it up there. With chapter 48 and verse 35. And what does it say? And the name of the city from that day shall be. The Lord is there. Here's what the city is now known for. 
The city is now known for the glory of the Lord has returned. The Lord is there. The presence and power of God is felt. What is the city to be known for? Whether this is figurative or literal, city could be known for its architecture, for its industry, for its commerce, for its art. City could be known for its depravity. Think of the, the drinks and drug culture even in Belfast. City could be known for its music culture. No, the city is now known that the Lord is there. The peculiar glory of the Lord that had withdrawn so many years ago has now returned. The Lord has come back. I believe, of course, that this has to do with the second coming of the Lord. This has to do with the reign of Christ over his people. That's the theology of the name. Now notice very quickly and secondly, the testimony of this name. It says, and the name of the city from that day shall be. The Lord is there. Well, what is this city now doing? This city is bearing testimony. This city is being a witness. The Lord is there. You see, sometimes we're just taken up with names. We mentioned Carrie Duff. We mentioned Belfast. We mentioned Lisburn. mentioned Newton Ards. And it's just a name to us. Did we ever stop to think how the city or the town got its name? Its historical roots stretching back many, many centuries and many, many generations. When it mentions Jehovah Shema in Jerusalem, you have got to think of a testimony. And I want you to think of it as a testimony to the presence and the glory of God. Think of a testimony personally. Isn't it a great testimony to have that the Lord is with me in the onward march of life? You see, when you've got God's presence with you, you've got everything else. There's many in the world without God, without Jesus Christ, without hope. And they have got a lot of things. They might have health. They might have wealth. They might have a station in life, a social standing that you and I do not have. But here's one of life's greatest blessings, the conscious reality of the presence of God with us. Isn't that what he said to Gideon? The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. The psalmist said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And folks, that's true for every individual Christian. Do you know why? Because every believer is born again of the Spirit, and he's indwelt by the Spirit of God. It was the Apostle Paul that says, Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And literally every true born-again believer who has the Spirit of Christ, he can say or can be said of him, The Lord is there. The presence of the Lord is with him. And ought to be with him in a conscious, real, tangible way. Isn't that the acid test of being a believer? I belong to the Lord. I've got a testimony. I'm indwelt by the Spirit of God. Wasn't it Paul that said, If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he have none of his. Wasn't Moses' prayer, If thy presence go not with us, carry us not up hence. Can I say to you, young people today, make up your mind. Before you go anywhere in this world, Wherever your feet take you, 
Ask yourself this question, whatever place it is, whatever people you're among, is the Lord there? I would say today, don't go to one place where the Lord is not there. That's true about your companions. If they're ungodly, then don't dwell amongst them. Don't be found always in their company. Remember the hymn writer where Jesus is. Tis heaven there. You see, it's true for the individual Christian. Personally, have you a testimony to this end today? That the Lord is with me in the onward march of life and you're conscious of it? And you live in the awareness of that? And no matter what befalls you, the Lord is with you? Isn't this true for the individual church? Matthew gospel says where two or three are gathered together in my name there am i in the midst we've got his word and there's more than two or three here but even where there's only two or three whether it's in the prayer meeting or worship the lord is there what we want of course is to welcome the lord in a conscious tangible way we have a small work here And we want to see the work flourish and go forward and prosper. And of course what we long to see is what we've seen on Wednesday night and seen again on Friday night. Is the meeting house regularly filled again? It was filled away back in 2006. I believe God can do it again. Is that our desire? Is that our drive? You see, if the Lord's in the midst, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. Then things will happen. God can and does send revival. What is revival? Duncan Campbell said that that revival is a manifestation of the presence of God amongst his people. It's not the ungodly need revived. They need a resurrection. It's the people of God that needs revived. And when God comes, things happen. There's a big change. The Lord's glory had withdrawn in the land of Israel. Then the glory of the Lord returned in the name of that city from that time when the glory returned was known. Jehovah Shammah. See, it wasn't the same. When the Lord comes, you can't be the same. Turn over there to Habakkuk uh, just for a moment. Read this. This is a prayer. Habakkuk chapter 3, 1. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet upon Shiganoth. Verse 2. O Lord, I've heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. Listen to this. God came from Teman. And the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah, his glory covered the heavens. And the earth was full of his praise. What's Habakkuk doing? He's thinking back to the past. He's thinking of a time when God came before and things happened. And he's saying, Lord, we love to experience that again. It's not what Isaiah prayed. Oh, that thou would rend the heavens and come down. Duncan Campbell again said that revival was a community saturated with the presence of God. The Lord came and passed to revival. 1859 in Carrie Duff, there was hundreds converted. Hundreds stood in the cobbles of the old uh, car park of Carrie Duff uh, Orthodox Presbyterian Church and heard the preaching of the gospel by the Reverend Hugh Brown. They were gloriously converted. 
Can God do that again? Of course he can. Is there a longing for the presence of God in the church? Is there an admission that the Lord is absent and we need that presence and power? See, it's true for us as individual Christians, but it's true for the individual church. The presence of the Lord personally, very quickly. The presence of the Lord powerfully. You see, the presence of the Lord is always associated with power. As I've said, when God, when God comes, things happen. There's a change. And you see, that's what's been happening in the life of Hope Mission. The presence of the Lord, and with the presence of the Lord, there's the power of God. And it's God that's drawing people in. Nobody here by accident. I believe God's at work in precious souls. In Luke 5, it says, the power of the Lord was present to heal. Tommy Gilmer told us about 30 souls in Port of Ogie at one gospel mission during a week. He told about 300 souls in Ballymena way back in 1976. And you see, there's a link. The absence of the presence of the Lord means there's an absence of the power of the Lord. But when the Lord's in the midst, when the Lord is there, the presence of the Lord restores the power of the Lord. And we long to see that. We're powerless to effect change in our community. We're powerless to see of souls. Salvation is of the Lord. We're powerless to see backsliders restored. The psalmist said, He restoreth my soul. And it's only God, the Holy Spirit, can deal with the backslider. But what we, of course, have a responsibility to do is to pursue God. Lord, come again. Give ourselves to prayer. The psalmist said, I gave myself to prayer. Let's attend to the preaching of the word of God. Let's plan to be here tonight. Let's plan not to be at home. Whatever plans you have, let's change the plans. And let's expect God to come. Because let me tell you this. God has saved you to be a witness. You might say, but I'm not a preacher. I'm not gifted. I can't speak well. I haven't got any gifts. That's right. But tell me this. Do you know you're saved? You know you've been redeemed by the precious blood? Can't you say, well, Lord, you changed me. I'm not what I once was. Oh, I'm not what I ought to be, but I'm certainly not what I once was. See, what has the Lord given you? He's given you a testimony. And you can be a witness for the Lord. You've got a personal testimony. And that testimony is as powerful as the Reverend Martin's testimony. And you might have never been in the UVF. And you might never have gone to the Mays prison. And you might never have done some of the bad things that were mentioned here on Friday night. But it's still a powerful testimony. Because the Lord has saved you wonderfully by his grace. There's the testimony of the name. And I have another point here. Just, just bear me out. The tranquility of this name. You see, when the Lord's presence comes, what does it bring in its wake? Let me just suggest three things. It brings protection. Didn't God say in Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, When thou passest through the waters, I'll be with thee. When thou passest through the fire, I will be with thee. Is there anything more destructive of the flame and the, the flood? And yet God says when you're passing through something that is like the flame and the flood to your soul and causing you fear and alarm and a dread, you remember this, when you're passing through it, I am with you. 
See, the Lord's presence brings protection. See, any place that's hard and difficult like our own, if the Lord is there, then it's easy to live when you have the presence of the Lord. There's a contentment. There's a comfort. You might today be facing a sad set of circumstances. You might be living alone. You might be fearful. You might have a loved one who's sick and ill at home, bedridden, maybe even walking in the valley of the shadow of death, and nobody really but the person that's going through it understands their own bodily pain. And you would love to avoid the sickness and the bodily pain. And yet the amazing thing is this, if the Lord is with you, your experience has tender, loving, faithful care, just like a nurse. He can strengthen you in your bed of sickness. You're not alone because he is with you. You've got the Lord's protection. You've got the Lord's provision. The Bible says, in thy presence is fullness of joy. Thy, thy right hand is pleasures forevermore. You see, when the presence of God comes, there's not only power, protection, provision as well. There's joy, there's victory in the Holy Ghost. When the presence of God's lost, there's despair. There's disunity. There's dissatisfaction. There's disloyalty. But when the Lord is there, when the Lord has come and met with us and is with us, the presence of the Lord melts our hearts. We've got joy in the Holy Ghost. We've got victory over sin. We've got power to live. There's God's provision. And you know what I fear today? That many of us are just going through the motions. We're guilty of playing church. We're guilty of hypocrisies. Because we name the Lord's name. And yet we don't know this reality of having his presence melt our hearts, trembling before him. He says to this man, will I look to him that is poor and a broken spirit, and he trembleth at my word. It's a vital thing that we have the presence of God. Because without it we have no provision of strength. We have no help. Lastly, good peace. You see, the city is now changed. The Lord is there. I think of the city of Belfast. Think of the murders that have been, all the bombings that have been, the 40 years of hell-inspired terrorism. Think of the sin, the lawlessness. Think of the devil at work. And yet one day, even Belfast will change. There'll be true peace. Why? Because the Lord has come. One day the king's coming back. One day we'll see him descending the sky and the trumpet will sound. The dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and we'll return to be with the Lord. And we'll have perfect peace even in the face of difficulty, in the face of our storms, the tranquility of his name will you be taken up today with the theology Jehovah Shammah we want the Lord with us will you be taken up with this testimony individually in the need of the church will you experience this tranquility I've got the Lord with me therefore I have protection I've got the Lord with me I've got provision I've got peace I've got purpose I've so many other things
that the Lord is with us. May the Lord bless his word to our heart today.